we go. Great. Well, you know what one of um, the best things is for a speaker when he's coming up to speak is when the guy right before says, this is going to be one of the most awesome, incredible things you've ever heard in your life. So um, no pressure on me right now at all, but uh, here we go. So um, I, before I kind of kick into this, let me tell you a little story about Casey and I. I like to tell stories every now and again. And, you know, Casey and I, uh, we got a lot of things in common. There's a lot of things we love to do. But, you know, some things we are very different. Uh, one of those things is how we vacation. Okay, so when we go on vacation together, uh, some of you know this already about Case and I. Case, she just loves to lay out by the pool. She just loves to lay by the beach. She wants to go somewhere and for a week or 10 days or two weeks do nothing. And I'm like, what kind of vacation is that? We're in a new place. There's things to see. There's, there's places to explore. Come on, we've got to be out doing stuff, and we've got to set the alarm and get up early and be out and about moving around. Do you know, even as I'm saying this, I can see husbands and wives tapping each other. They're like, that's you, that is. See, that's, 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 that's how you are. And uh, it, it creates a little bit of conflict, a little bit of tension when we go on our vacations because she wants to just kind of chill, and I want to, because I'm a doer. I want to see things. And, and, it, and it causes problems because I actually get anxious when I go on these places, when we go to these new places that we've never been before, because I want to make sure that we get to see and do everything that there is to see and do while we're there. I can remember this was about 15 years ago. I know it was 15 years ago because she was actually pregnant with Ben, and uh, we went to San Diego in California. We'd never been there before, and uh, we were pretty excited. Uh, it was the summer, so it was going to be beautiful, just kind of laying out by the pool, but no, not me. I'm, I'm looking around, okay? Now, this is 15 years ago, so this was kind of before TripAdvisor and online travel forums, so I had to do this old-fashioned thing where you talked to people face-to-face, -face, and uh, you tried to find humans who had been to the places you were going to go, and I would find people who've been to San Diego, and I'm like, hey, we're going to San Diego, never been, what must I do when I'm there? And they're like, oh, you've got to go here, you've got to eat here, you've got to do this, I'm writing it all down. And I can remember one of the places they said, this, this, this young lady, she says, I used to live there, she goes, you've got to go to La Jolla, and go to La Jolla Beach, it's beautiful there. And so I'm writing that down, because my biggest fear is that I will go on vacation somewhere, and I'll come back, and I'll meet someone who's been where we were, and I'll say, oh, we were here, and they said, did you go to this place, it's incredible, and I say, no. I didn't even know about that place. Oh, no, we're going to have to go back because I missed it. So um, I'm making this exhaustive lift. So we got to see and do a lot of the things, much to Casey's real excitement. We were traveling around and seeing all this stuff in San Diego. But we'd been there a few days, and i got to be honest, I was kind of disappointed because we were staying at a hotel. I got this map from the hotel, and I'd looked. And do you think I could find La Jolla? Couldn't find it anywhere. Couldn't find La Jolla Beach. I remember sitting on the bed in the hotel room going, Case, this person said we've got to check it out, but I'm looking here and I cannot find it. There's this La Jolla place, uh, J-O-L-L-A, but I can't find La Jolla anywhere. And that's when my wife, who learned Spanish at school, unlike her husband, explained that actually Jolla is pronounced that way, but it's spelt Jolla. So we got to go to La Jolla Beach and it was beautiful. It was really nice. And uh, we were so glad we got to go. But um, isn't that the case though? When you've been somewhere, maybe it's a vacation, maybe it's just somewhere around here, maybe you've been to that new restaurant in town, or you've just seen this new movie that came out, and you just want people to know. You, it's kind of, you're telling everyone, you're like, hey, have you been to this restaurant yet? Have you seen this movie yet? Oh, you've got to see it. I, I heard you're going to Florida. Oh, you must go to this place, or you must do this thing, because when we've experienced something, and we enjoyed it, we want others to experience that as well. So two years ago, here at Connect, it was a Sunday, and we were launching for the very first time. 
And it was super exciting. But actually, that's not really when Connect began. That was September, back in February of 2013. Some individuals and couples and families and young people and older people, we started to meet on a regular basis and started to plan and prepare for this thing that was coming called Connect Church. And some of you who are in this room this morning, you were part of that. We called ourselves the launch team. It wasn't a huge group of us, but we were excited and we got together and we were doing things like scouting out locations. Where can we meet in this new church? We were raising some funds. We were purchasing equipment. We were um, praying hard. We're praying, God, you know, we're going to start here soon. Let this, let this go well. We were talking to leaders saying, hey, we need someone to kind of be in charge of the hospitality area and someone else is going to have to come up with a system for the setup. And people saying, well, I'll do this and I'll help there and I, I can help with the kids. And all these things were happening. But there's one other thing that I'll never forget that happened during those six, seven, eight months between February and September when we launched. And that is that every family represented in that group, we came up with what we called our list of 10. Some of the people who are in that launch team will remember this. We, We called it our list of 10. And here's what we did. We, from a very early on stage, I would say, guys, when Connect launches, here's my heart. My heart is Washington's got some great churches. We don't want to pull people from other churches to just come to us instead. I want to reach people that don't have a church home. I want to reach people that um, maybe they grew up in church, but for some reason they've stopped going. I want to reach people that maybe have never gone to church. They don't even believe in God. But I want to create an environment where they could at least come in and and explore that and maybe hear that and, and, and decide for themselves. I want to reach people who are outside of the church. So on these lists of 10, we started to dream and imagine the names of people, maybe neighbors or friends or family members, who we would love to have seen come and check out Connect Church. So we started to write these names down. And then every time we met together, we would pray and say, God, we pray for Connect. We pray for this, that, and the other. But we pray for the names on these cards. Because, God, we want to see some of these families and friends come into this church. We want to see them come to know you because like a vacation or a great meal or a great movie, for us, we'd experience something that we wanted others to experience too. Jesus had done something in our lives, and we desperately wanted our friends and family and and neighbors and community and surrounding communities, we wanted them to experience it too. So that was kind of the, the idea behind Connect Church when we launched two years ago. And we were, we were praying for these, these lists of 10. And you know what? Maybe, maybe some of you are here this morning and you had no idea about that. And you were on someone's list. Maybe you were somebody who's, maybe someone has been praying for you for a lot longer than you realize. And the answer to that prayer is you being here this morning. Because like I said, like a great vacation or a great meal, or a great movie. We wanted you to experience what we've experienced in our lives. So we were praying that through Connect, this new church, that dozens of people would find their way back to God. That was our prayer. And over the last two years, that's been our vision and our mission, to see people find their way back to God. And we've seen that happen. Some have found God for the very first time. For others, it was maybe they'd strayed for a while. Maybe they'd been out of church or out of relationship with Jesus for whatever reason. And now they were finding their way back again. Some we we saw had a pretty instant and dramatic journey and an instant dramatic life change. For others, the journey involved more um, steps over a course of weeks or months. In fact, there are probably some here this morning who are still on that journey. 
who are still exploring, still trying to wrap their heads around this, still trying to think this all through. But maybe you are on a journey this morning of finding your way back to God. But over the next few weeks, that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about what this journey looks like. So if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, I don't believe the journey comes to an end. I don't believe that when you have that relationship with Jesus, when you come to know him, that that's the end of the journey. I think it continues on. Because I think we can always be looking to, to learn more about Jesus, more about ourselves and what it's like to be a follower of Jesus through every stage of our life. But if you're here this morning and you've not yet found your way back to God, I'm hoping that you'd at least be open over the next five weeks to consider some of these ideas that we're going to present in this series, Finding Your Way Back to God. So what we're going to do each week over these, these five weeks is we're going to spend each week looking at what I'm calling um, five different awakenings. Five different awakenings that I believe are common to all of us. And five awakenings that I actually believe God himself put in us. So each week, there will be a different awakening that we'll look at. And this morning, to kick off this series, I want to look at the idea of the fact that we have this awakening to longing. That every one of us inside has an awakening to longing for something. So let me explain what I mean by that. I believe that um, at some point in our lives, we become aware of the fact that, that there's this longing inside of us. It's a longing that we have, and sometimes the busyness of the world and the busyness of our lives kind of drowns it out. But in those moments of reflection and those moments of quiet, I think we're aware of the fact that there's this kind of desire, this, this longing inside of us for meaning. That feeling that there's got to be more. It awakens in us longings that lie deep within each of our souls. And if you think about it, these longings, they show up everywhere, don't they? They show up in the stories that we write and the stories that we read. They show up in the art that we see, in the art that we create, in the lives of the people that we love. They even show up in the songs that we listen to and the songs that we sing. And I'm going to prove that to you this morning, okay? We're going to listen to a few songs, and you're going to recognize them. And I'm actually going to need your help here this morning, because I'm going to play the first few words of the song, and I want you to finish it. Okay, you've already sang a little bit this morning, so I know you can do it, so uh, I want you to be nice and brave here, because we're going to see how, how uh, up-to-date you are with your, uh, your musical knowledge. So uh, let's take a look at this first song. It's going to start to play, and then it's going to stop, and when it stops, you need to help me out here and sing whatever should be coming next. So let's play this first one. Awesome. Very good. We got some um, talent in the room this morning. Okay. So far, we're one for one. So I uh, still haven't found what I'm looking for. What about this song here? This song. Singing words, gonna be frustration. If we don't, we're gonna blow a 50 amp fuse. Sing it to me. All right, yeah. This section over here in the front, they're clueless. They've got no idea what that song is. That's because this song is like four times older than every one of you. But yes, the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. There's another song. Now, you, none of you, I think, will know this song. I'm really hoping that no one knows how this song continues. But let's check this one out. 
playing a fool's game, hoping to win. And telling those sweet lies and losing again. I was looking. Oh. <laughs> uh, I know, I know, there's a lot of country fans here this morning. Well done. We threw that one in for you. I was really hoping that no one knew that one, but it turns out that uh, we got some country fans too. But right there, and that was just three songs, but it comes up so much, doesn't it? That idea that we still haven't found what we're looking for. I'm, I'm looking for love in all the wrong places. I can't always get what I want. These tunes, these familiar songs point towards this, this longing, this idea that in, in mankind, there's, there's this deep longing. And, and I thought of three ways that this longing kind of presents itself in our lives. The first way is this. There's a, there's a longing for love in every one of us. There's a longing for love. You know, I was thinking about this longing because we've got some families here this morning, some, some married couples, and I know we've got some singles as well, and some young people who are starting to long for love a little bit themselves. And I can remember when I was single, I moved to America, I was 24 years old, and um, I married Casey when I was 28. Actually, I married her when I was 27, and two days later I turned 28. I got married two days before my 28th birthday. But I can remember from 24 to 28, it was like everyone's mission to find me a spouse. Because they were horrified that I was in my mid-twenties and I was still single. They were like, dude, life is disappearing. I'm like, I'm all right. I'm actually having a good time. I was getting to travel quite a bit. I was getting to do a lot of things. And I was really enjoying being single. But they're like, no, seriously, Dave, we've really got to find you a wife. You're like 26 and you're not married. This is scary. So, um, but I was doing okay. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I was doing okay, but you know what? I've got to be honest. I was thinking about this message this week, and I knew that my, the title of this one was um, Longing for Love. And I remembered this song. It was a song by a British guy who was a Christian singer, and his song was called An Aching and a Longing. And the, the, the chorus was, we're all look, we're, we all have an aching and a longing to be loved. And I remember I had his album, and sometimes I would listen to it, and I was single. I'd be by myself driving, and this song would come on. And it was like, in my heart, I'd kind of be like, God, I do want to be loved. <laughs> But then I was with my friends, I'm like, I'm fine, I'm good. You know, but every now and again, just that, that kind of resonated with me, that we have this aching and this longing to be loved. You know, there's another longing, isn't there? There's a longing, not just to be loved, but a longing for purpose. I think every one of us could identify this idea that, that deep down inside of us, we have this longing for purpose. I mean, think about it. If you think back to when you were a kid, maybe you were five, six years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? I bet some of you wanted to be doctors, teachers, firemen, astronauts. Maybe you wanted to play professional basketball. Maybe you still want to play professional basketball. But ask yourself this. Why in the world were you dreaming about having any kind of job at all? You were six years old. It's not like you were sat at the table thinking, oh, man, it's tough here. Mom and dad are out working, and I'm just riding along here. I need to get a job. I need to help out here. I need to contribute a little bit. I mean, that, that never crossed your mind at six years old, did it? But it's because deep down inside, from a very early age, we sense this, this need for purpose, for a plan, for, to count for something. And now we're all here this morning. We're all grow up, and we're, we're finally the astronaut that we dreamed we would one day be. Or maybe we're an engineer or something, but it's still great. And, um, and now you find that purpose, right? You're grown up. You've discovered that purpose. Now you've figured out what life is all about. 
Well, maybe you have, but maybe like many people around the world this morning would say, you know what, I still haven't figured it out. I'm still looking for the answer to that question. Do you know, I read a, a story online last week. It was amazing because I knew I was speaking on this, so I, I copied and pasted it because I was like, I've got to talk about that. I, uh, I consider myself to be a little bit of an expert when it comes to video gaming. Uh, I've been doing it for many years. I've been uh, jumping barrels to, to get to Donkey Kong, and I've been chasing a, a maze, a Pac-Man around the maze, and um, all sorts of things. I even still, this, to this day, I get to play FIFA and uh, Madden and different games like that, and I have a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old who just beat me mercilessly every time. So I'm pretty um, clued in when it comes to video games. So I didn't understand one day a few uh, months ago, maybe last year, when I sat down with Will and he was playing a new video game he just got and I'm like dude what is this game it's like really old-fashioned it was like all pixelated and like really old-school kind of video game he's like oh dad it's awesome I said what are you got to do he goes we well, got to dig stuff up and you got to build stuff and I'm like yeah and he goes no that's it I was like what you got to build he goes anything you want what you got to dig you can dig anywhere and I'm like okay but how do you know if you've won you don't you just dig and you build I'm like, this sounds like the dumbest game ever. I can't believe anyone's bought this game. Well, it turns out that hundreds of thousands of people, young people and adults as well probably, think that this is a great idea for a game. Because Minecraft, if you've ever heard of it or seen it, okay, it's now on t-shirts and different things, it was a phenomenal success. So much so that this, this Swedish guy by the name of, let me get his name right, in fact, it's on the screen, let's just put it up there, Marcus Pearson, okay, Marcus Pearson, the, the creator of this game, just a computer um, software engineer from Sweden, him and some buddies, they made this game Minecraft, it became such success that Microsoft paid this guy for the game. Do you know how much? $2.5 billion dollars. $2.5 billion. Now, you do understand that there was no real mines involved, okay? There was no land purchase. There was no, you know, property. This was a computer code game, and he got $2.5 billion. You'd think if anyone's figured out the meaning of life now, here's a guy who's got 2.5 billion reasons why he knows what life is all about. This is the story I read online just last Saturday preparing for my message. It was an article that, that produced a bunch of tweets that this guy had put online. And listen to, listen to what he said. I just picked two of them here. The first one, he says, is the problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying. And human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. That, to me, sounds like someone who's longing for love who's looking for human interaction, but because of all he's got, he still can't find it. Listen to his next tweet. This is even sadder. Hanging out in Ibiza, an island just off the coast of Spain, hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. Two and a half billion dollars, and he's never felt more isolated. That broke my heart to read that. Because I know so many people who are striving for that. They feel like if they can get even close to that, that will be the answer. That'll, that'll answer these longings that I have inside of me. But he's got there. He's got two and a half billion dollars, and he still can't figure this out. You know, as well as look, a longing for love and a, a longing for purpose, I think deep down every one of us has a longing for meaning. We have this longing for meaning, answers to those big why questions in our lives. 
I think every one of us has probably had enough pain in our lives at some point that we, we find ourselves saying, God, why? If you're so good, why did this happen? What's the point of life? Why am I here? Why am I in so much pain? And we look at those difficult things that we face, maybe trauma that we grew up through, difficult situations, and we, we say, why? Why would a good God allow that to happen? I don't know the answer to all of the why questions. I do know last night I got to go uh, and listen to a Christian comedian. He was at a church here in town. He was brilliant. He was really funny. And he shared this thing and just kind of really opened my eyes to this. He said that when he was a kid, he had a problem reading. He really struggled to read, and he was falling behind in class. So he tried really hard, and he could never really figure out the phonetics. He could never really figure out how his friends would learn to read. So in order to keep up, he had to kind of come up with his own way of reading. So he said he would look at these words from all different ways, and he'd look at the words, the sentence they were in. He said, I found myself looking at every word of the page from like seven different angles. And that was the way my mind had to work in order to be able to read. He says, as a kid, I was embarrassed. I felt stupid because that was the way I had to read. He goes, do you know what? As an adult now, as a comedian, I find some of my best material comes because I'm able to look at a situation from seven different ways. And I get these great ideas and these great insights. He goes, I believe God created me to be a comedian. And I believe those struggles I went through as a child, I now see that it was almost like God was preparing me because he knew that, that setback there would actually be an advantage later on in life because it would help me be a better comedian. And he had the privilege of coming to a point in his life and saying, hey, now I can look back and I can see meaning in the misery. I can see meaning in the sadness and the pain. And I do believe that in God's um, way of doing things, there's meaning behind all the pain in our lives, but sometimes we don't get to see it straight away. Sometimes we may never see it in this lifetime. But the one thing we have in common is we have this kind of longing for meaning. I want you to understand this morning that the longing for love, the longing for purpose, the, the longing for these answers to the big why questions, they're longings that we all experience. I believe we're hardwired to, to experience these. But here's the thing. The problem isn't that we have these longings and these desires. I think the problem is that we seek to fulfill them on our own. The problem is that we try to satisfy these longings, and, and I think we try to answer these questions without God. And I think Jesus knew this, because he told a great story to illustrate this. It's a story that we're really going to dig into over the next five weeks. It's one of my favorite stories that Jesus tells. I know that as I start to talk about the story this morning, many of you will be familiar with it. But just in case, I want us all to read the story together. So I found this great video that we're going to watch, and it's, it's, it's people telling the story. You know, the Bible sometimes is written in different translations and different ways. You know, there's kind of modern and, and different ways. And, and this is three different translations of the Bible kind of put together, and these people reading the story. So check out this reading of this story from Luke chapter 15. There was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, 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 I want right now what's coming to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land. And Where there he waste wasted all his money in wild living. He had spent everything. When a bad famine spread through that whole land, soon he had nothing he to eat. He was hungry and needed money. So he went and got a job with one of the people who lived there. The man sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He would have been glad to eat what the pigs were eating, but no one gave him a thing. Finally, when he, he came, came to, his, to senses, his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. 
I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But let me be like one of your hired workers. So he left and he went to his father. While the son was still a long way While off, his father saw him. While he was still a long way off, he felt sorry for him. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. So he ran to him and arms hugged him around and him, him and kissed him. The son said, "Father, I have sinned against God and have done wrong to you. I am no longer worthy to be called, called your, your son. son." I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father said to his servants, "But the servant, father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him." Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Get the best calf and prepare it. Bring the so fat calf and, and, and celebrate. Kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. This son of mine was dead, but has son now come back to life. Son of mine was dead and has returned to life. He was lost and is found. He was lost so the party and is began. found. For lost so and they began to celebrate. And they began to have a wonderful time. You know, Jesus told this story for a reason. Jesus tells this story to, to illustrate this idea. The idea that um, these longings we, we, we very often look for in the wrong places, and God wants us to find them in Him. You see, the problem isn't that we have these longings or desires. The problem is that we try to seek them on our own. This story of the lost son who has this longing is that he, he, he finds himself saying, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. The son is, he's saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I can't always get what I want. I'll be looking for love in all the wrong places. So he takes his father's inheritance. He basically says to his dad, listen, I want what's mine and I want it now. I want out of here because I want to go and search some things out. He's basically saying, dad, I don't care about you anymore. I just know there's something more and I want it now. Now, before we cast judgment upon this son and think about what an ungrateful and selfish person he is, I wonder, is it possible that maybe he just said out loud what some of us from time to time feel ourselves? Don't we sometimes feel like life isn't bringing us what we hoped for or what we wanted or even what we feel like we deserve? In fact, I think what I'm about to say next may surprise you because I think thinking and feeling that you want something more is what you should feel. I think it's okay to have that idea that I want something more. Not that every desire is good for you, absolutely not. Yet things like your longing for a love that will truly last, and a purpose for living, and your needs to make sense out of the hard things in life, I believe that all these longings come from God himself. But the son in Jesus' story, just like so many of us, he was convinced that he had to leave his father to find the answers. He had to leave his father to fulfill these longings. So as Jesus said, he set off for a distant country. You know, it's funny, the story doesn't really give us many details. Some of you have heard this story. You may have heard it told before, what the son got up to. But actually, all the Bible says is that the younger son squandered his wealth in wild living. So we're really just left to imagine what wild living might have looked like in Jesus' day. We have to imagine, well, what would that look like today? Maybe the son ventured off to Vegas or Amsterdam or Chillicothe. 
I don't know, I had to think of somewhere like, that conjured up the idea of wild living. I apologize if you're from Chillicothe this morning. I didn't really know what the central Illinois equivalent was of where someone escapes for wild living. But, but we picture, you know, what would have happened there? <laughs> but it didn't take the sun long, did it, in this story to blow his inheritance. And very quickly, his adventure turned sour. The famine struck the land. He had no money left. And it says that he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know, I think what we can deduce from this son's story is that his longing for love, it wasn't satisfied in other women. His longing for purpose wasn't found in any of the parties he found himself out. His journey just basically left him asking all kinds of why questions. Why didn't this turn out like I thought it would? Why am I so lonely, broke, and empty? Why did I end up in a place like this? But I think the story of the lost son can be our story too. And I think the reason Jesus told this story is because he wants to help each of us find our way home, find our way back to the Father, back to God. Because God is like the Father in this story. He is tirelessly pursuing you. He desperately wants all of us to return home to him. You know, this amazed me. So I, like I say, I've known for a couple of weeks what we're speaking on. So I've been, kind of been working on this, this, this message and this series now for several weeks. And, and just this week, while preparing this morning's message, I got an email. It was an email from a young lady who was sat here in church last Sunday morning. She said, I just felt like after your message this morning that I wanted to write and tell you my story. I don't know why I just wanted to really kind of tell you what's been going on in my life and what's brought me to this point today. It was a sad story as I read this, this lengthy email she sent me. A story of growing up in a broken home filled with alcohol and drug addiction. She told in the email of how she'd had to raise siblings alone because the adults in her life just weren't in any state to do so. How she didn't really have any kind of childhood or teenage years because of this, this dysfunctional environment in which she found herself. And then she said as she grew up, she, she ended up in her own life of addiction and pain and looking for love in all the wrong places. She moved away and she found that even in this new location, trouble just seems to find her. And this is what she wrote in the middle of the email. She said, I didn't believe in God anymore, though deep down I did, but never could understand why he would allow so much hurt in my life. So I covered my anger with disbelief. As I came to a point, I couldn't keep going. I prayed one night and said, God, I don't even know if you're real, but I can't keep doing this. I need you to show me you're real because I just want to die. She wrote, then I decided that I was going to commit suicide the next day. The next day I had an interview scheduled and I went to the interview. And midway during this interview, the man just stopped. He took off his glasses and he asked me if I knew God. I said, I don't know, maybe, but not the way you do. And he said, no, I mean, do you know God, the God of the Bible? Do you know Jesus? She said, I know of him, but I don't believe in him. And he just asked if he could pray for me. I allowed him to pray, and I felt the most amazing presence ever of God just in the room. I love this, she wrote. And of course, I cried really hard. 
I wrote back to her and I said, could I share that part of the email? Could I share a little bit of your story? Because it's exactly what I'm talking about on, on Sunday morning. The idea that God is like the Father in that story, relentlessly pursuing us. That those longings that we have inside, that we, we very often look for in, in, to, be, to fulfill in all the wrong places. And yet God wants to show us that he can fulfill those longings inside of us if we'll just turn to him, if we'll just go back to the Father. You know, we all have this awakening to longing, this longing for love, purpose, and meaning. And God is wanting us to find it in him. So here's the challenge I want to end with this morning and send you away over the next five weeks throughout this series. We do this from time to time, and I, I, I love it. I love the feedback I get from people when we do something like this. But to set the challenge up, I want to tell you a story real quick. It's about the 17th century mathematician Blaise Pascal. I'm sure you all know such a lot about him and are big fans of Blaise Pascal's. But he was actually one of the greatest intellects in the history of Western civilization. But you know, he grew up knowing about God, but he never really followed God. Then in a profound middle-of-the-night experience with God, he had a change of heart. And this experience, it ignited this passion within Pascal to try and help others find their way back to God. So what he did was he began to challenge some of his fellow intellectuals to a wager. It was actually a wager on God. He would dare them to step into a belief about God and see if it didn't change their lives. Pascal explained his wager this way. He says, I want you to make a bet that there is a God who loves you. If you are right, you have everything to gain. And if you're wrong, you have nothing to lose. He said, make a bet that God is real. It's a gamble, isn't it? Where you have everything to gain and nothing to lose. If you find God, you'll find the source of unconditional love for which you've always longed. You'll find that God can offer you that purpose for your life. You'll even find that God is the one who can take your past and even make sense of it. That's a big time payoff if you're willing to take the wager. So here's what I want you to do over the next month. We've had some poker chips made, okay? And they have the Connect Church logo on one side, and on the back they have the wager. And we're going to give those out right now. Are you guys, yep, I can hear them jingling back there, or whatever noise a poker chip makes when it <laughs> jingles. They're going to make their way forward, and they're going to start to pass out these poker chips. Here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to put this in your pocket. And I said we do this at Connect from time to time. I've still got um, a rock we talked about this last summer. It's called Slaying the Giants, and, and I still carry this rock to remind me um, of that series. But, but here's why I want you to take one of these poker chips. Because I want you to join me in that wager over the next 30 days. For some of you, it'll be praying this prayer exactly. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. This is how Pascal would challenge his, his intellectual friends. He said, just try it. Just try praying this prayer on a regular basis. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Maybe you're here this morning, you're visiting, you've never been to church before. Maybe you grew up in church, but you became disillusioned for whatever reason, and for one reason or another, you found yourself back here this morning. Maybe you come to connect on a regular basis, but you still don't feel like you understand God or you have that relationship with God that others around you seem to have. So I want to challenge you to a wager. 
every morning, every afternoon, whenever it is, when, whenever you put your hand in your pocket and you feel this chip there, just say, God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Because I believe that God is going to answer some of those prayers. I believe the same God who was pursuing that young lady in that email, who came to the very bottom, who came to her prodigal son moment when she was kind of at the lowest of lows and God showed up through a guy in an interview. That same God is pursuing you this morning. Now, maybe you're here this morning, like me, you are a follower of Jesus. But you know what? I'm still going to keep this in my pocket. I believe God is real. But I'm going to pray for the next 30 days. God, I want you to be more real in my life. I want, you to, I want to experience more of your reality because I know that I need God to be more real in my life every day. And I want to experience him more and more every single day. So I'm going to be praying too for the next 30 days. God, I want you to be more real in my life than ever before. Do you know, you're going to be amazed. God loves to answer prayers. Sometimes it's just that we don't pray these prayers and you'll be amazed at some of the ways in which he'll show his reality to you. So I think everyone's got their poker chips. The, the jingling has, has died down. Oh, and now they're being dropped. Great. Yeah, well done, son of mine. Okay. I'm going to pray. We're going to close out. And then I've got one important announcement to make before we leave. So God, I'm really excited over these next few weeks to look at these different awakenings as we, as we study the life of this young man who, who, for whatever reason, turned his back on his father went in search of happiness and life and, and came to a point where he didn't find it and turned around and came back and was forgiven and accepted. And that was a great story, Jesus, that you told. But I believe it was such a powerful story you wanted every one of us to learn because we get trapped in that. We, these longings that you put inside of us, they're drawing us in a certain direction. And, and Lord, they should be drawing us towards you, but sometimes they draw us, we, we allow them to draw us in the other direction altogether. And maybe there are some here this morning who have been looking for love and purpose and meaning, have been disillusioned in all of the outcomes. God, would you help them as they pray this prayer, discover you? Would you become real in their lives? Would you become the answer to the, the search that they've had, Lord, for love and for meaning and for purpose? I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.